Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach, and I'm so excited to share a new episode of our podcast with you. Today, you're going to hear from Coach Josh Ergel. He's currently a tight end coach, recruiting coordinator for the Kansas Jayhawks football program. He's married to Kristen. They have three kids. Another amazing story of God's faithfulness, God's love in a couple and how they live it out. I can't wait for you to hear from him. Just an incredible man of faith. So let's jump right into it. Well, thanks for joining me today, Coach. Oh, it's a pleasure. I appreciate you having me. You bet. So I'd like to start this off with just give the listeners a little bit of, about who you are, maybe where you, where you grew up, a little bit about your family growing up, and then your family today. Uh, sure. Uh, so um, I'm really one of those raised by village type guys. I was, um, I was born in, in Waco, Texas, uh, really grew up from the ages of three to 16 in Brownwood, Texas. And then the last year and a half, two years or so of high school, I lived uh, with my uncle in Silver Springs, Texas. So I'm a, I'm a Texas native. Um, but, but kind of my mom had, had four sisters and a brother. So she was one of six siblings and, and it really took all of those and, and the community of Brownwood around to really get me and, and raise me. Um, I'm very, very thankful about that. Uh, uh, three, I was three weeks old and, and dad wasn't really in the picture. And so that was um, a thing that I really never, ever had a gap, though, of a godly Christian man influence in my life. It was unbelievable. And what really ended up shaping my life was most of them happened to be involved with sports. And it started really, really early with Little League and, and then went on junior high and high school. And, and God really, really set that example. I had some great friends growing up that have, that were blessed to have both parents in the home and really set a golly example. And as an early kid, I can remember going to Cullen, my, my best friend's house, and, and seeing uh, Keith, Mr. Clark, and, and Miss Vicky um, just just love one another and be real and just be. I lived at their house most of the time, just as much as I was in my house sometimes. And and it was just uh, it was awesome to see a godly marriage. And now some early on I wanted and um, had a great youth minister growing up, Ricky Cavett down there at church that grew up in and. Um, it was just, I really was, I was, I, I was protected. I was, God had, had people around me that were going to pour in me, invest in me. I really don't look, I grew up different some, a lot of guys I'm recruiting nowadays and the kids that I'm involved with 18, 20 year olds, a lot of them come from similar backgrounds and some worse or harder and some easier, you name it. But, um, unfortunately my back, my story's become more prevalent. Um, but that really, it was, it was a village. So I grew up around then and, uh, Silver Springs went, played uh, football, and and powerlifting was coming along then, and track and basketball and all that. And I uh, got the opportunity to go to the University of Memphis and play football. Um, Rip Shear recruited me out of uh, out of East Texas to go um, there to the University of Memphis in Memphis, Tennessee, and that's where I ended up meeting my wife, Kristen. And um, she was she had grown up right outside of Memphis in a town called Germantown, and and so we we uh, we began dating. Uh, maybe my third year in college or so and we were married there shortly after and and, um, and started this journey that we're on and in college coaching and uh, we have three great kids I got an eight-year-old um, fixed to be nine I guess and and Courtney um, seven-year-old Landry Landry is our uh, she's our curveball I guess you'd say we share her story in a little bit and I got three-year-old stalling so I got I'm blessed with three kids well wow, that's awesome that's a busy house Oh, busy, really. <laughs> a moment. And when you, when you throw in, you know, sequestered together in, in one house, it gets, it gets a really big family in a really small area. 
Yeah, no kidding. Um, so you mentioned the curveball, if you will. Um, so talk about your family starting the Ruler of Hope Foundation. You know, I looked up the mission is to provide support and research to medically fragile children. So kind of share that background story. Yeah, so so we were rocking along, and and uh, we were, you know, Kristen's a sports reporter. That was always her dream. So we were we were chasing that, and we were trying to chase my dream of being a, a football coach at the same time, and trying to make those things work. And, and um, we decided to start a family nine years after being married. And, and Courtney comes along, and Courtney's our rock star, and she, we're we're fired up about Courtney. We're spending every evening with her and teaching her how to walk and everything. And and uh, and God blesses us with a second child and early on in the pregnancy, we, um, we were informed, we were told really, really early that, Hey, something's not quite right. There's something wrong with ultrasound. She's our second or third, third visit, um, to the doctor. And so you, you can imagine it is pretty scary. Yeah. Um, we were actually in transition. Kristen was in, um, in Hallsville, Texas, there in East Texas. Um, and I, I'd moved just to take the defense coordinator job at Southeastern Oklahoma state in Durant, Oklahoma. Uh, three three hours away or so, and um, during spring practice, man, I get a phone call. <laughs> Secretary's frantic. She runs out there, gets me. I jump in the truck and I take off. Mm. And, uh, so I get there, with Kristen. She's just she's in Florida's balling, and in the news of that kind of come along. So as we kind of walk through the pregnancy, it was it was hey, your baby's not going to make it. To hey, there's something really really wrong with with fluid around the neck. Hey, we think it's a heart condition. Um, long story short, Landry's born, uh, premature. Um, she, uh, she, she has several issues. They, they, they labeled it at the time to trial flow, which is four issues of the heart. Um, so because she's a preemie, she also has underdeveloped lungs. And, um, so she's, she's there at the end of the pregnancy, there's some complications, but she's born there in Dallas. Um, she lives there the first seven, three days of her life. Kristen, I can't get Kristen to take a break. She's being mama and she's not leaving that baby. And, um, Landry had open heart surgery at seven weeks old. They tried to let her grow to see how big she could get, see if she could handle it. Um, I wouldn't wish, um, seeing, uh, one of your loved ones going through that for anything and, and to see something so little, she came out three pounds, four ounces. And so she was tiny and she tried to grow for seven weeks. And they finally said, okay, it's time to, or child heart surgery, they do that um, four times within 48 hours post-operation. She codes uh, to mm. she four times. So we lost her four times, and by the grace of God, she came back. And and um, just looking at Chris, you know, God's got something special for this little girl. Of course, her kind of growing up next couple of years, we're in and out of the hospital a lot. She has long period of stay, and 60% of her life, she's probably in the hospital, and she is out. Uh, really kind of fed Kristen's ability to be able to have a job. I mean, she's full-time taking care of her and really kind of put her, her career being a sports reporter on hold. And, and, um, but, but the lung, the premium lungs really gave her issues. The heart was really reconstructed and did a phenomenal job. And um, so we just, just, it was just battling one um, symptom after another. Um, so Landry is uh, about six and a half years old. We're living in Clarksville, Tennessee, North of Nashville, uh, all of her specialists are there at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt did a phenomenal job of her care, uh, but they had run through the gamut of tests. Like, what is what's the underlying cause? What's the diagnosis so that we can attack this and really give Landry try to help her overcome? Landry's uh, physically dis, uh, delayed. She's mentally dis, dis, delayed. She's um, got immune deficiencies. Um, so, I mean, it's, 
a common cold coming and gets on Landry, it's it, it's gonna knock her off the feet. And you know, so we would just it'd be a snivel with us, and she's in the hospital with pneumonia over it. And, um, and, and so she's just battling all those elements. And so they basically the very last thing they can do is a genome sequencing test. They take my blood, Kristen's blood, and her blood, and they just go line by line through your DNA and say they're just looking for anything they can find. And, and they found a gene CSN K2B. Um, don't know a whole lot about it at the time, uh, which was um, a year and a half ago or so. She was the fourth person ever diagnosed with the gene mutation of CSN K2B. She was the only one in North America. There was two in Japan. There was one in, in France. Um, she was the only one where there was a duplication of one of the amino acids that threw off the rest of her sequencing in that gene. So when most parents, we all say our kids are one of a kind, Lander actually is. And, and so we use a little bit of science to prove that. And it didn't really help us as far as a diagnosis down the road. In fact, kind of put your mind at ease from the standpoint, okay, we have a name for it, but they don't know anything about it. There's no case studies. There's four in the world, known world. So there's no case studies. There's no, hey, we don't know if your daughter's going to live 80 seconds. We don't know if your daughter's going to live 80 years. So um, it, it was just kind of one of those deals. Well, over the course of all that, we're stacking up. We're, we're loving on girl the best little, best we can. And um, I've been blessed with great job. I have great insurance, just like anybody. And uh, thank, thank goodness. Thank the good Lord. Uh, but you're stacking up medical bills left and right. It's either the medicines or the stays, the co-pays, you name it. We're, we're just stacking it up. And, and that became a burden a little bit down the road. And, and we were uh, uh, we were at Austin Peay State University. And um, we just kind of got to a deal. It kind of got to a point where we were kind of like, we were, I've liquidated basically everything. We're taking care of land. We're doing the best we can. And uh, people want to come alongside. So, so some people back home where Christmas from kind of got together and used her parents and started a GoFundMe. And, and that took off in, in Clarksville. Then it was Tennessee. And, and all of a sudden, it's, it gets a hold of Chris Lowe and ESPN. And there's an article on ESPN.com. And uh, the news stations in Nashville got the story. And University of Georgia uh, student athletes got the story. It was actually a baseball player on their baseball team and reached out to some of the players on our, our football team because we were going to play them the first week of the season. And it got to be a deal where um, the humanity of uh, everybody's goodness came out and really poured into Landry. And because of that, we've started Ruler of Hope. Um, we, were, we were blessed. We just wanted to be a blessing to others. Um, so we just really have tried to take the platform that God's given us and whatever our jobs have been, um, the story of Landry as our inspiration, obviously, and just try to help other families and critically ill children in the same, uh, same manner. So, um, it's a nonprofit Chris and I, um, created that, that, um, asked people to donate, we'll do fundraisers, we'll, we'll give, and we're just trying to bless families of critically ill children. Uh, rare disease is a big deal in America. There's one in 10 Americans suffer from a rare disease. Half of those are children. And so not they're, they're not, they all have the same gene mutation that Landry has, but, but they all have the same issues ultimately. And that's just love and providing for a child that where you just feel so helpless that you, you can't really do anything for your child. And, and, and uh, children are so innocent that nobody deserves to go through that. And so that's just been our inspiration it's been Landry and we just want, that's all we want to do. We just want to bless other people through that. Wow. I'm usually not at uh, short for words, but um, that's powerful. Uh, just the way 
y'all have navigated through that because um, I can only imagine the range of emotions, the range, you know, the, the number of questions, but, but clearly your faith is strong. So, I mean, talk about, if you don't mind, I mean, how you and, and Kristen have really leaned into your faith during this. Well, you don't start off strong. Right. Nobody starts on strong. You say, you know, I look back now, I say, hey, uh, Josh, you're going to have a little girl and she's going to have all these issues and you're going to walk through this. I say, I quit. Can't handle it. That, that's too much. God, I can't do that. And, and, and what he really did is he take you to the point on the front end without knowing all of that. Just, just the, the initial magnitude was so big um, that we were saying that then. There's no way we could walk what we walk knowing what we're fixing to go into. Um, but you do lean on your faith the best you know how. And that's it. God takes you from where you're at and he takes you to the next step. He doesn't show you all of it. If he shows you all of it, you, you, you wouldn't accept the challenge. And because it is bigger than you. Excuse me. And, and if, if it's not bigger than you, then you don't need God. And that's one of the things you learn. The first thing that I come to grips with as a man, um, I'm, I'm supposed to be the provider, the protector of my family. I'm supposed to be the brave one. I'm supposed to be the one that says, listen, we're going to work this out. We're going to lean on God. It's going to be okay. And I get to a point where I've got a little girl that's in a hospital that I can't touch. Solve it. The doctors don't have any answers. They don't know why she coded and why she's still here. They don't know really what the underlying issue is to be able to solve that and stop it from happening again. They can't even diagnose it for six years. They don't know. They, it's a place where nobody could tell you. So what are we going to do with that? Well, the biggest issue as a man you have is I want to fix it. I want to go christen. It's going to be okay. I didn't know this. Right. Girl, let me hold you. Daddy's going to protect you. And I'm going to, it's going to be all right. I didn't know it's going to be all right. I didn't know how to protect her. I didn't know what I was protecting her from. Um, it really is a thing that does rock you to your knees. Um, and when we've got down there, we found our faith. And so the best, the only thing, not the best, the only thing me, Chris and I knew to do uh, was lean into God. And he showed up every single time. And uh, in spite of us, not because of us, mm. um, in spite of us, God's only looking for your availability. That's the only thing he wants out of you. He doesn't need your abilities. He gave those to you. He doesn't need your talents. He gave those to you too. They're not really yours. They're really his. He doesn't care how messed up you think you are because you know what? We're all messed up. And if it wasn't for God and for what he did with his son, Jesus on the cross, I mean, none of us have a chance. And um, we, me, me, in my arrogance and my pride growing up, I thought that I was a self-made man. Mm. But what? I'm coming from the middle of nowhere in, in Texas. Nobody knows about me. Nobody knows my family. I don't have high status. Um, our football team's not doing great. Where I find my uh, validity is in sports. Um, I'm having success, but but so 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 now let's just work harder. And, and that's what athletes you, you go work the best you can. You go work hard, and that's one of the great attributes that athletics teaches us um, that you you can become. You can train your body to get in line with what with what you want your mind uh, is telling it to do, um, but you get to a point where, all right, listen, I'm really not that big of a deal. So God, if you don't show up, I don't, I don't really know what to do. I don't, I don't really have a, I don't have a chance to make this. I'm not going to make it, God, if you don't show up. And every time we got to one of those breaking points, and no one in the world knew what to do with Landry, God did. 
that's just, I mean, there's so many things going through my mind as you're telling that story. I mean, so many lessons out of that, because like you said, as a man, um, mm-hmm. and it drives my wife crazy all the time, that my first instinct, anytime she mentions something, is is how to fix it. Absolutely. You know, and then, and, you know, and in this case, it truly is helpless. Yeah. Um, wow. What an incredible testimony, though, for you and your wife to walk this and now use it to, to bless other families because um, there's probably, like you said, none with the same gene mutation issue, but walking through a challenging time. And so just to have family like, like y'all's available um, to encourage them and bless them is unbelievable. When you start getting into it and, and the stat that, that the rare disease community that, that we've gotten involved with uses is one out of 10 of Americans has a rare disease. All right, well, if there's 327 million Americans, that's 32.7 million Americans have rare disease. Half of those are kids. Wow. That, that's a, I mean, you can, we, can, we can start blessing families now and never get to all of them. Yeah. Yeah, when you break the numbers down like that, that's, that's a lot. It shocks you. It's it really is. And I can't imagine as a parent. I mean, I just cannot even. Well, that was there. one of the, that was a, that was a big stepping stone for us because, um, Satan wants to isolate you and he wants you to make you think that you're the only one out there. And then mm-hmm. you, you get a prognosis. Your daughter's the only one. The doctor tells you, oh, we don't, you're the only one like this. It's exactly like this. And you're only the fourth in the world that has a mutation of the same gene. So we don't really know what to do. He wants to separate you and isolate you. Um, and that's, those numbers are just one way God has used to unify, uh, and give us uh, perspective, uh, that listen, man, it ain't about you. It's about ultimately about me and my glory as God, the father. And, uh, are you going to use what I'm doing in your life? All right. Or are you just going to sit here over here in the corner by yourself and so mm-hmm. more people hurt and worse than you? There's, there's, there's kids worse off than Landry Urban. I promise you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I better than Landry Urban. That's not the point. The point is, is taking what God has used her in her life, realizing the fact that he's got a plan for her just the way she is. He, he created her just the way she was um, for purpose. Because there's, wow. not, there's not a day of her life. She's seven and a half now. There's not a day of her life. Chris and I don't get on our knees separately or corporately together and pray that, to God Almighty to heal her. Hmm. Before she was on this planet, when she was in Christmas womb, we were praying, God, earnestly. You couldn't have had more faith. Than we had. God, you can do it. God, one thought today. If, if God God wants it to happen, Landry Earl will, will be healed right now. That's mm-hmm. But you know what? God's got something for her. God's got a plan to where to where that kid, just the way she's built and just the way she's wired, is going to give him the most glory. And that's what we really want for that little girl. Amen. And I mean, she already is, right? In Absolutely. some ways. Already Absolutely. is. In a lot of ways. That's so hard to transition to sports after that but I, I do want to talk about um, I think we can tie it in um, you know you're talking about using your platform and God is is given you a platform through your job as well um, to put those two um, the the family platform and now you know coaching in college football division one level gives you a platform so I think those two go together so talk about um, your current role at Kansas um, and, and how long you've been there and, and, and what your role is. Well, uh, I'm currently the recruiting coordinator and tight ends coach at the University of Kansas. And God has 
blessed with an opportunity. I worked for a great man, Les Miles, a Hall of Fame football coach, that uh, we, we pick up the phone and call, uh, excuse me, a young man, his family, they they know exactly who I'm talking about. I mean, he's he his, his name goes before him a little bit, and, and he's, uh, he's phenomenal to work with. He's an unbelievable family man. I'm very thankful to be here. Um, uh, my career, I mean, I have worked on the high school level. Um, I've worked um, in Division Three as a head football coach. I've been in Division Two in a couple of different scenarios. I've been an uh, offense coordinator and a defense coordinator and a, and a position coach. I've been a uh, special teams coordinator. Um, and then I've been an assistant in the FCS level twice and coordinator uh, in the FCS level one. Um, GA to Southern Miss and, and quality control to LSU with Coach Miles in 09 the first time. And, and now I'm back with him the second time here. And um, really, for me, it's about it's about the people that God's allowed me to be with. I mean, this is um, – when I sit and think about it, it's really awe-inspiring. But God had a plan for me and still does. And um, when I was growing up in Brownwood, Texas – I, uh, I was the kid that was standing outside the fence there in the line camp, and Mark Backer would scream from the 50-yard line, Ertl, get your tail in here. And <laughs> paid for our little lines camp in Brownwood, Texas. But, uh, but Coach Backer was uh, – he played with my uncle. I uh, knew a lot of my aunts and my mom from college. Um, he, uh, he was an unbelievable man, is an unbelievable man, and football coach, and uh, was leading that program there in Brownwood at the time. Um, just raised me in so many ways. I mean, taught me what it, what it meant to work. I didn't have a clue what it meant to work. If you want to know how to lift weights, you go talk to Mark back. Cause that joke will get you strong and he'll teach you how to work and how to, how to sweat and how to come together as a team. And he was teaching all of us in that community from an early age, an early age. And, um, uh, my, my, my sophomore year, uh, he gets let go and moves on to, um, Linda, I believe, no, Will's Point, moves on to Will's Point at the time. And um, Coach W.T. Stapler and Steve Freeman come in and uh, great football coaches, man, great minds, and, and won tons and tons of games and, and still out there winning. Um, and then my last two years of high school, I went to live with my uncle, Chuck King, who was the head coach at Sulphur Springs. And he had followed James Cameron around the state of Texas and had played for James in college. And, and uh, Got the head job there at Silver Springs, was named the head coach when James Cameron passed away and, and got the opportunity to go play for him. And Chuck was biologically, he was the closest thing to a, to a, um, as my uncle, he was my father. And, um, I mean, every year, whether it was a holiday, whether it was summer vacation, whether it was just going to spend time with him, um, that was just a matter of time before I went and lived with him. And it just worked out. It ended up being the last two years of my high school, um, career there and growing up, but, but just, um, his football knowledge, him having having a head coach in the house and being around that and seeing him and following his career growing up. Rip Shear recruited me from to the University of Memphis out of East Texas. And then my last year in Memphis, Tommy West, who had been our D.C., was named the head coach. And Rip gave me the opportunity to chase my dream of being a college player. And Tommy West, when I'm walking out, the last thing, we have a Highland 100 banquet and our senior banquet. And um, Tommy West basically creates an award called Top Tiger and hands it to me with the big old mm. and it was it was a character it had anything to do with it was overcoming adversity of an injury that I had and, and trying to be selfless and, and help our football team out the best we could to go win a, a bowl ring and, and change change the face of that program and and those were those were my head as a player 
I, I don't know if I could pick better ones to challenge me in so many different ways, different ways um, to really strengthen me and fill in the gaps in my character and, and, and me as an athlete, as me as a young man, as, as me trying to find out what it really meant to be a man of God, uh, what it meant to be a man, what it, what it meant to, um, to be a part of a team, to, to, what it, to give me a glimpse of coaching. I think I always knew I wanted to be a coach. Um, most of my family's in education. And so I'd always kind of leaned that. I always thought I'd go back to high school and, and coach and teach uh, in, in high schools in Texas just because that's where I was from. That's all I knew. Um, and when I had the opportunity to go GA at the University of Southern Mississippi, uh, Rip Shear was now down there as the offense coordinator, and the head coach is Jeff Bauer. Jeff Bauer is, was, was the uh, head coach of the decade in Conference USA. So Conference USA had come along, and they won four conference titles in the 90s, and he's the guy, and it's 2003. We walk in the door. My first year coaching, I'm conference champion in 2013. I mean, it was unbelievable. I was like, this, this, this college coach thing, <laughs> you still recruit great players. You go work them really hard and you go win a championship. Well, that's easy, right? And, and, but, but the knowledge that Coach Bauer about running a program and uh, the way he tied everything together, I really get to see the insides of graduate assistant into an elite program that was overachieving than what its financial budget was or mm-hmm. what the was. And it really kind of set itself as an elite mid-major program. Um, but it wasn't just on Saturday afternoons. It was everything. And that enamored me. So instead of um, taking that experience of a GA and coming back to Texas and going to work my uncle or, or in East Texas or Central Texas, wherever, um, I, I wanted to chase college football. My, that, that dream was sparked because of Jeff Bauer and being at the University of Southern Mississippi uh, program down there in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And so my first full-time job after being a GA was for Todd Knight. Todd Knight is the head coach of Washington Baptist University. That's the best job I've ever had. I was the recruiting coordinator, tackles tight ends coach, or tight ends and offensive line coach. Had all that. And uh, a smaller football in college, wore a lot of hats. And uh, Todd Knight taught me how to walk your faith, incorporate your family, and chase after championships as a, as, a, as a football coach. Man, he was the first, like, he put it all together on the college level so seamlessly. Um, I wanted to be Todd Knight. Still do. Still, I, I just want to be as good a player. And he is, he's sitting there reeling off conference championship after conference championship there at Washington Baptist. Still in Arkansas, Arkansas. Um, Got the first opportunity to go work for Les Miles and, and see that. So I, I, I had a GA in a mid-major program. I go – um, the division two, and I see, I see what I really want to be as, as a coach and, and, uh, unwisely walk away from, from that situation. Didn't really know what I had. I was so young. Um, and, and get an FCS, uh, position coach and go work for less miles. And you see, they don't even talk about budget. I mean, at the place we are at LSU and he didn't even, the Monday came up. It's like, Hey, I want to have this idea. We're going to do this recruiting event. Um, it's going to be like this. Okay, great. Let's go do it. Hey, I want to do this camp. Hey, great. Let's go do it. Hey, I want to travel the team up a day early to Washington so we can over, we can overcome some, yeah. some <laughs> we just do it. And I'm like, holy cow. So then you see how to run a league football program, how you would do it. If you could do it anyway, possible one, um, great experience and, um, go take a offense coordinator job in division two out of there. And, um, cir- circumstances, um, off the field, really, uh, we all get let go. And it wasn't until 2010 um, when I got fired for the first time is when I really realized, all right, what 
what are you doing and what are you doing it for? Then mm. really sparking. I go work for uh, one of my uncle's friends, David Plunk in Hallsville High School there in East Texas. And at that point, I really think that's when my career started. My career started in, in 2011 when I went to Hallsville High School uh, because I got to a point where it didn't matter who I was coaching, where I was coaching, uh, what my role was, uh, what type of responsibility I had on that coaching staff. I knew why I wanted to coach. I knew who I wanted to coach. I know I knew, I knew how I wanted to coach. Mm. And uh, I didn't care if I coached them down at college football. I didn't really I, – I wasn't looking for anything. Um, I was really had been on offensive side of the ball until that point. And, and Coach Plunk, um, there at Hallsville, hired me as a defense coordinator and taught me to call on the defense side. Well, out of that, I get a defensive job in Division Two for Ray Richards. Ray Richards is a godly man who runs things, who ran things there at Southeast Oklahoma, just like like Todd Knight. And I was like, man, God's taking care of me. I didn't, I, I didn't even interview for the job. I didn't ask for a job. He sought me out. I was like, that, that's that ain't never happened before. Normally, I got to send eighteen hundred resumes out to people. One gets you back, and by the grace of God, somebody knows somebody, and you get a job. I didn't do any of that, and it was just. Uh, I really felt like my heart was right, my motives were right, my intentions were right, and my, and my purpose and my passion, and God was orchestrating my steps. And that just, at that, you know, from 2011 on, I just really felt like um, my coaching career started and really felt like I'd wasted eight years the first year of, my, of, of coaching. Hmm. You know, maybe <laughs> maybe that was part of preparing you for what was to come to family-wise. Oh, 100%. I don't you know, think any loose ends. I think that, um, you know, the Bible says that God works all things for the good of those who love him. That's right. In spite of us, I think there's a little preposition mission. In, in spite of you, I'm going to work all these things together. Right? That's right. I'm really not looking for anything that I've given you. I've already given you everything you need for this journey. But what you got to do is you have to lay it down and get out of the way. And when you get to that point, and uh, I can finally use you, but but you got to you got to realize all I really want is I want all the glory as as God the Father. He wants the glory, and He wants us to get out of the way. He wants to see us succeed, but He wants to see us succeed in what He has for us. I was laughing as you were talking about not uh, your journey. Um, I was looking at your bio, and um, I didn't realize until tonight that you were head coach at uh, East Texas Baptist. Yeah. So. Uh, you're probably the fourth person I've interviewed from there. Um, it's a great, it's a great university. There's yeah, no- Scotty Walden, I think, followed yeah. you, interviewed yeah. him. Um, probably the most uh, energetic and passionate person Absolutely. Um, I've interviewed. And I actually were able to meet. They they played their bowl game out here in Dallas this year, so we we're able to to go over and hang out um, mm-hmm. the the day before the game. I'm telling you, I was ready to. To, to suit up after just spending 10 minutes. Yeah, he has that effect on people. Scotty <laughs> and a great young man. He's, he's unbelievable. Loves yeah, Scott. So I just, yeah, so I just had to give a little kind of go sidetrack there because I, I kind of chuckled when I, when, when I realized that, that you had coached there and then uh, yeah. gotten to be friends with the current head coach as well. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so that's a good deal. So, you know, clearly your faith plays a big, a big part in, in who you are and – your coaching, have you experienced any resistance from players, parents, administration? Uh, I, I don't think that um, no is a simple answer, really. I think that um, 
obviously serve. But when you're a head football coach at East Texas Baptist University, you, you can go out there and say the name Jesus Christ anytime you want to. That's right. No, of course. Matter of fact, you get fired if you don't. And they were they were encouraging that. I, I um, so I think that's that's the the place that that I just cut loose and and I have that. But I really believe and and if you just take if you, if you just take one one quote that's popular nowadays and and every and a lot of the authors that we're reading all of us, but your thoughts become your actions and your actions become your habits and your habits well they ultimately they create your character. Well, what are our thoughts? If you go back to the root of that, where are your thoughts coming from? So, well, I, I think that your faith invades every aspect of who you are. I don't know if you can really separate that from what you do. Um, I am a football coach. That's what I do for a living. That's not really who I am. Mm-hmm. I God, by the grace of God, and completely under his doing. And, um, and so I think that it, it has been a part of who I am every, every step along the way. Um, I, I think that, you know, the kids that I coach at every stop, the kids that I recruit at every stop, I think I want them to see honesty out of them. I think I want them to know that what that attribute is. I think that's a, uh, something that's so rare. I think it's a magnet for, for young men. Mm-hmm. It's essential um, for us as people. I think it's essential for us as men leading our families, uh, leading our businesses, uh, leading anybody in our sphere of influence. I think honesty is, is, is where it starts. And I think that's something that's missing. And when I motivate a young man, if he, if he's really buying me, he's not really buying the words that I say. It doesn't matter how, how, how enthusiastic or how passionate or what I say, it doesn't matter what words or adjectives I use. If he, if he buys me, that comes from that honesty. Um, I, I want, I want all those kids to see family. Mm. That's what I've done. I, I, I'm married, right? I, um, I married a superstar that's um, a way better person than I ever be. Um, she is, um, we decided early on that this is going to be a family business. And she has a cooking gene that she derived from her mama. Um, and uh, we just, we invited her to our home. See the dysfunction, man. See the, see everything, but see the love and just, and just see us trying to live it out. Back to like me growing up. There's a lot of guys out there that don't come from that. They don't see anything like that. They come from different walks of life. I saw it in the Clark household. I saw it in Ricky Cabot, my youth minister growing up. I was able to go in someone else's house and see that firsthand. And I think it's important for them to see my family and to know who I am. Selfishly, when I go into a football field and I start coaching, all of that plays an impact on how mm-hmm. well I see the message I'm given and how well my, my message is, is, is given. It's given to them. If I know they know my family, they know everything about me. They walk in, they see my faults, they see my strength, they see my weakness, you name it. They know everything about it. Man, there's a vulnerable uh, aspect of that that's really phenomenal about team sports because they begin to open up and shed those uh, layers of them. And now we really truly have a relationship that when you walk onto an athletic field and it's just a microcosm of life because it can translate mm-hmm. to any business. But man, when you love one another, great things happen. Because if I go on the football field and that's my teammate and that's and that's fine, hey, I'll play really hard for him because I want to be good. He wants to be good. Coach wants us to be good, right? Dad's in the stands wants me to be good, right? But if I love the guy next to me, I'm gonna give him everything I got, everything I got. Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna study harder during the week. I'm gonna practice harder during the week, and then when, on that Friday night or that Saturday afternoon, man, I'm laying it on the line. I'm not laying it on the line for anybody else but that guy beside me. And I think family really pays a part of that and then obviously um 
part of my purpose in coaching is to help them define their purpose. And their purpose. Mm-hmm. we can't regenerate this thing if 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 I can't use the game of football as a microcosm of life and show them all the wonderful aspects of what the game of football teaches you, how to be a man and how to be a teammate and how to be a great citizen and, and how to be a child of God. It's, it's, um, I, I really failed as a football coach. I really believe all three of those aspects are really something that you're trying to convey. And, uh, whether I'm recruiting a kid now or whether I'm, I'm actually getting to coach them on my, on my team and, and how I treat them. I mean, honesty and recruiting, it's a big deal. I mean, I'm, I'm wide open. And I just talk to those guys like they're my son. And, um, some guys it scares off. Some guys, they receive that. And those guys receive it and end up coming on a football team. That's where I've ever been. Um, that's just me. I don't know how to operate any other way. And I put mom yeah. and dad on the phone and I say, listen, if I say it, you can count on it. Here we go. And, um, I think that's a great place to start. And I think that if we start more of a start like that in every walk of life, whether it's around our kitchen table at dinner or, uh, whether it's in our profession or, or you name it, I think that, I think we'll be off to a great start. You know, I think you're on to something there, though. I mean, one of the biggest things you, you talked about, not only your, the role your faith plays, but that your family is a part of it and you're modeling um, the family unit to these young men. You're modeling a, a godly marriage and you're showing as well on the flip side that, hey, just because, you know, I claim the name of Jesus doesn't mean that everything in my life is perfect. It doesn't mean that my house is <laughs> orderly all the time. I promise you, when they see my family, God gets more glory because they go, if they can, if he can save that old boy, he can save anybody. That's and what I tell people. Anybody that comes to my house, I'm like, if you think <laughs> that we got it all together, um, you know, when, you know, people ask me, um, we've been married um, 20, soon to be 23 years and people go, wow, what's your biggest advice? I'm like, well, um, I can tell you easier what not to do. (laughs) (laughs) You know, same thing with parenting. I can tell you everything not to do more than I can tell you what to do. But I think that's powerful testimony though, is just showing that um, as believers, it's not all perfect, but the one we follow is. So, and you talked about the role your family plays in it, but you know, it still takes a lot. Um, the career that you're in is very demanding mm-hmm. with or without a family. So how do you balance that with being a husband and a dad? Um, I think we just kind of went all in. I think that, I think her, her choosing for it to be a family business is um, really the only way you're going to do it. I think when you're investing, when your career is investing in people, um, I, I think we're created to have relationships as human beings. Um, I just see coaching as a calling. I don't. I don't see it as a job. It's not my profession. Uh, to, like I said earlier, it took me eight years to figure that out. Uh, once I figured that out, then uh, everything else fell in line. Uh, even my three kiddos now, um, they can't wait to Thursday nights when I have all the kids over for Thursday night throwdown. I mean, they they just they're looking forward to it like we are, and, and they're part of the preparation too. They, I mean, little old Landry, she did, she starts figuring stuff out. Hey, we start picking up the house, and she starts smelling a bunch of good food. Hey, the boys are coming over, and she starts getting giddy just like anybody else. And, That's awesome. Um, I, I don't think really is it time time planning. Yeah, there, there's there's time restraints and there's times. One of the great things I like about my profession is that it's seasonal. I don't know if I could ever just sit behind a desk. It's not how I'm wired. 
Um, but there are some sacrifices made when we go on the road and we go recruit for four straight weeks and we're just back on the weekend, but we're back on the weekend, we're doing official visits. We're gone a lot then too. Yeah. There's some, there's some times of sacrifices, but there's some times in the year when I can get some time back too. And I think that it's more important that I make whatever time I do have available. Um, it just becomes that much more critical. Mm-hmm. I make it that more important for my kiddos. So, um, just, just trying to take that time and make it impactful and trying to, um, no matter how I feel, invest in them and turn that back towards them and, and just kind of meet them where they're at. And, um, but I think that if it's not a, if coaching, especially on this level, if it wasn't a family decision, it wouldn't really a team game within our house. I think it'd be very difficult. I think that um, if you're going to be a coach of any kind, uh, male or female, your spouse better be all in on that. Mm-hmm. I just think that um, your job is to go in part, uh, pour in and invest in other people's kids and, and help them come together for a common goal. Um, and you can't do that without neglecting the team at home. When I, I'll stand before God Almighty, it'll be, I'll be accountable for Kristen, how I, how I came alongside her and how we raised our three kids. There's no question about it. Um, but I feel just as strongly about every young man I've ever been on the bench. I'll be held accountable all the way back, all the way back to 2003. When I was a GA, whatever sphere of influence I had around in that, in that offensive line or that offensive unit meeting, um, I'll be held accountable for that. Um, and the great news is I got tomorrow – I'll be a hell of a camel for two, and that hadn't happened yet. And I can control that tomorrow. And so um, I just think that it's a calling. I think that it's a family. It's, a, it's, a, it's Team Herbal. I mean, that's what we call around our house. It's Team Herbal, man. And we're all in. That's good. I think you actually just answered my – I'll ask it and see if there's anything you want to add to it. But the next question I, I was going to ask you was, what would you say to that coach that's out there that understands the platform but really wants to to use it for good. Is there anything you would add to what you just said? Um, I would say this. I say um, to be called a football coach or to be called a coach of any kind, um, you got to understand that it is a calling. And there's too much on the balance. There's too much on the line. If, if God has put you in a sphere, in a place of influence, over um, those, that group of athletes, you, you're called to challenge them and to grow them and to stretch them and to and to mentor them and to um, and to guide them in a proper way. It's too important to our to our country, um, to our universities, to our high schools, to our communities. Um, you name it, um, you're handling the future of of our world, of our country, and um, you've got to instill in them. That they're a warrior. They're an ultimate competitor, man. That they were born to win. That, that God created them for an unbelievable uh, impact. I think too many kids nowadays try to shy away from the greatness that's inside of them. I really believe that. I just believe that all all of us have greatness inside of us, and if we're blessed enough to have a coach come alongside and pull that out, willing or unwilling enough, I believe that we will get a glimpse and a taste of the greatness, and we will we won't want anything else. We won't want to live halfway or, or, or just be mediocre that we'll always, no matter what we put our hand to, man, we'll be like, God, this is for you and your glory. And I'm going to work on under you. And I'm going to put it all on the line today. And I'm not going to give a half effort. If you're called to be a coach, that's what you're called to instill in young people. 
And they want that. They want they want the discipline. They they yep. want to be challenged. They want to be good. They want to know what they don't know. And that's the deep greatness is inside them. They're wired that way. They have a they have a spiritual DNA inside of them that they have no clue about. And it's your job to show them that. So if you're going to call yourself a coach, if you're really going to walk into that, lay yourself down for those kids. And the sooner you do that, then, then the better your career is going to be. Um, it took me eight years. I screwed up for eight years trying to do my own thing. Hey, I'm going to get this job. Hey, I'm going to network with this guy. Hey, I'm going to try to do this. Hey, I'm going to do this my own power. And, and, and by the grace of God, it only took eight because I would hate to think what wasting the whole career doing that stuff would be. Uh, well, you know, I, I think you're, I think you're onto something. The, the, the root is identity. Yeah. You know, when you, you take away, whether it's the business world or sports, that's just your job. Yeah. You know, who we are, you know, rest in Christ. And um, I was talking to somebody know, three or four weeks ago, and they, you know, we were talking about th- this very thing about what you said about everybody's got some greatness in them. And yeah. the way this person broke it down to me, um, we were talking about, you know, the whole in Genesis, you're, we were created in, in his image. Yeah. Um, and, I've, and I've known that probably my entire life. I grew up in, in, in the church, but just recently, you know, breaking that down with a friend, he's like, you know what, just, just think about it this way. The Bible says that we're created in his image, in God's image. And, but we always say we serve an awesome God. So if we're created in his image and he's awesome, what is, we're awesome. Yeah. You know, but often we don't grasp that piece of it. These young people, they get so bombarded and so inundated from every form. Forms they let in, forms they don't choose to let in. Mm-hmm. Not worth anything. That's they, right. They're just, they're just another number. They're just, they're just a statistic that uh, they come from somewhere so they can't do this, or, or, or they have this skin tone so they can't do that, or, or they um, didn't have a mom and daddy in the same home, or, or they came from a mixed home, or, or, they, or you name it. They're, the world and Satan will try to throw so many excuses for you not to be great when you're doing everything you need right inside. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We could, we could probably go on and on on that one. <laughs> yeah. Let's close yeah. it out with, uh, let me ask you about a, do you have a favorite Bible verse or is there one that God has shown you recently that you would share? Um, um I've kind of got two that, um, I kind of I go back at different times, kind of depending on what really God's kind of talking to me. Um, uh, Psalms one twenty one is kind of really when, when Landry came along. This one really hit me, it hit me right between the eyes and took me on my knees. But it's it's all eight verses, so I don't have to read it to you. But um, it says, "I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber." Indeed, he watches over Israel. Uh, the one who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. And when, when all hell breaks loose against you, your family, your loved one, and you don't feel like you can do anything, Man, that just uh, gives me so much peace. It gives me hope. It gives me joy knowing that he's got it all. And uh, he's in control of it all. And he can handle it. 
And um, he wouldn't have put me right here if he wasn't going to protect me and be that shade. That's good. Yeah. That's a, that's excellent. That's a, that's a good way to close it out. Um, I love that. I love to talk about that that question because oftentimes I feel like God uses that one to speak directly to me because I take notes and I go back and look up the different scriptures. And I cannot tell you how many times – when I hit stop and we're done, I go, that's the word I needed, you know, <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there is someone listening that feels the same way, but oftentimes I feel like, you know what, that was for me. And um, if it encourages nobody else, that's fine too. Yeah. That's fine with me too. I love the conversation we're having. You Absolutely. Me? Good stuff. Yeah. And I appreciate your time. I know, you know, it's an interesting times we're in with the with the virus situation and, you know, trying to get schedules with uh, kids' schedules too. So I appreciate your time and uh, I enjoyed it. And I know um, I've been encouraged just by your your, your boldness and, and fire and I, I know others will be too. I appreciate it. Thanks, Stuart. I appreciate your time. It's been, a, it's been an honor. It's been a really honor. You bet. Wow, what another amazing testimony of God's love, God's faithfulness in in a family that is 100% leaning to Jesus, 100% trusting in Jesus. So thank you to Coach Urkel for sharing your story um, of, of God working in your life personally and in the life of your family. I, I, I love it. Um, such an encouragement to me and just an encouragement to many. And just a reminder that our identity, who we are, is only found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And, you know, encouraging us to, to love one another. Because when we do that, great things happen. I love that. I have that written down. I look at that often now. And just how you're using the platform that God has given you through your daughter's illness to encourage others to not keep it in, but to embrace a platform of the unknown that God has given you, but to, to, to share Jesus through, through even trials. So thank you again for your, your story, your passion, just reminding us that no matter what life throws at us, to trust Jesus. So thank you. And thank you for listening. I would ask you to share this episode with somebody. I'm sure there's somebody in your life that could use some encouragements. I'd ask you to share it. Um, The last thing is interact with us. Um, You can go to our website, allinsportsoutreach.org, or social media, um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and type in All In Sports Outreach and find us and find out who we are, why we do what we do, And we love to hear from you, so we'd love to um, hear a message from you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your support.